back to To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well after the family day long weekend. As always, I'm your host, Noah Warren. And hope everybody's doing well. Hope uh, hope everybody enjoyed the weekend, the world of sports, all that fun jazz. And it's been a slow burn on the podcast lately. I realize that, uh, you know, it's it's been busy uh, on the home front. Uh, you know, we exciting things are, are happening here at To The Point. I'm really looking forward to um to the announcement that i've been teasing for a long time and that'll be dropping friday so friday uh around 2 p.m eastern i'll be doing a live video on facebook where i will share uh what what we're doing here to the point what what's coming and, um, you know, some format changes, some time changes. So lots, lots of new things happening. Uh, it's still going to be a lot of fun. I want it to be more interactive. But Friday at 2 p.m., you'll learn what's happening. And actually, here's a little teaser. It'll start Monday. So Monday, the new and improved to the point will be unveiled. I hope you guys can all be a part of it. Hope you guys all join in on this really fun, uh, fun ride for all of us, uh, here at to the point. And, uh, like I said, I, you know, I'm doing this for, for me, of course, but also, you know, I wanted to make it fun. I want to make it, uh, you obviously you gotta listen to me. You gotta look at my face. If you're on video every day, I want to make, uh, it as pleasing as possible for all of you. So I'm looking forward to that on Friday. Prior to that tomorrow, Seamus will join me still working, on the Anderson file, if you will, uh, you know, busy, a busy time a year in the accounting business. Didn't know that, but I do now. Um, and we'll, we'll talk all things sports tomorrow. And uh, Seamus isn't going away. Uh, he'll be part of the new improved to the point. It'll just be a little bit different what we're doing, but Seamus will still be on weekly uh, and uh, looking forward to talking to him tomorrow about uh, a bunch of different things around the world of sports, basketball, hockey, you know, it works with us, but getting back to, to sports, you know, you, you look at the weekend, a lot of different headlines. You had the NBA all-star game, which I couldn't care less about, but th through that you get a Chris Paul injury who's out six to eight weeks. There's only seven weeks left in the NBA regular season. This Phoenix Suns, who are the top team in the national basketball association. So a big injury there. They do have a six game cushion, but will he be ready to come to playoffs? How will this team look then? Interesting storylines there. You know, coming into the break, Golden State Warriors have been on a slide. They've been playing some really lackluster basketball. There's rumors Draymond Green may not be able to return this season. That would be a huge detriment to this team. They got to hope James Wiseman can come back. You still have the Brooklyn and Philly of it all coming out today. You have, uh, you know, Ben Simmons saying that he's ramping it up this week, plans to be back soon. And Actually, in early March, the Brooklyn Nets are scheduled to face the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia. And it's even being talked about that that game in Philly could be Ben Simmons's you know, debut for the Nets in his first game of this 2021-2022 campaign. And I'll tell you what, I am all for this. I want this to happen. I want that to be his first game. And I'll give him, Ben Simmons is a, 
is a great player with a lot of faults. And, you know, in basketball, what is one of the most important things you can do? Well, the most important thing is, can you shoot? Ben Simmons has never had that ability. He can't shoot from six feet out uh, from the rim. But through all that, we don't know what he's been working on since he's been sitting out all season. I have my doubts. He's, he's got a shot. That's a quick turnaround to really get a shot that's competent. But I do have to give him credit. If he can come back in this game and that's his debut, there's no harder place to play in professional sports, in my opinion, than Philadelphia. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, if it's hockey, football. You hear stories about the fans in Philadelphia, and they are insane. At Eagles games, it's talked about how, you know, even Donovan McNabb, who was the, the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, was hearing it game in, game out. Some obviously some comments that were racially insensitive and are never okay, but also just loyal Eagles fans who berated him, who treated him like crap. Um, you know, the you think of the Philadelphia Flyers, they had more of a different vibe. You back in the 80s and in the 90s, you went into the Philadelphia spectrum, it was a war zone. Teams were afraid to play the Philadelphia Flyers walking out of that entrance, not only were the players intimidating, but the team, but the fans were as well. You never knew what this rabid bunch of lunatics were going to do on a given night. And that brings us, and of course, of course, uh, in hockey as well, before I get to my next point, is that there's crazy people too, where they're going to scream at you in hockey. When the team sucks, you're going to know about it. Every game, you're going to hear boos. I'm sure Carter Hart can tell you a firsthand account of why it's not so fun to play in Philadelphia when you're not at the top of your game. That goes to NBA. Philly, it's really hard to determine, you know, where it ranks when it comes to priority in that city, because in hockey, it's very easy. Uh, sorry, in, uh, if I look at it in tr for Toronto, the Leafs are number one, clearly. Raptors and Blue Jays, I think, are close. I would go with the Raptors because they've recently won a championship, and that, that seemed to really fuel basketball uh, in the country of Canada. But it's kind of a, you know, it's a balancing act. Then you have baseball. You go through, I think, you look at the, uh, the Houston market. The Astros are the biggest ticket in town. It's not the Texans. It, you know, it's normally, it's football in the States, not in Houston. The Astros are the, are the biggest get there. Obviously, the Cowboys in Dallas, I could go on. But when it comes to how much we love a team, I think Philly's a really hard one to gauge because they love their 76ers. The greats of all time, you know, the great Philadelphia 76ers of all time, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, Dr. J, Allen Iverson, are revered in Philadelphia. They are celebrated. When AI is courtside, it's as if he's going down the red carpet to a movie premiere. You are loved forever. And most of these players never won a championship in Philly. Barkley didn't. Allen Iverson got to an NBA Finals, only could win one game against Kobe Bryant and the Stack Lakers. But they're still revered because they were great and they gave the, the city of Philadelphia all they could. 
Well, Ben Simmons was really the initial start of what was known as the process where in Philadelphia, they, they, they tanked. They said, we're going to lose games on purpose. It wasn't a Stephen Ross, Brian Flores, nudge, nudge, lose games and don't talk about it. Philly, it was very evident. It was in your face. We are doing the process. We want to get high-end draft picks. We want to get first overall picks as high as we can every year. So, And we're going to suck along the way. We're going to try to finish last. We're going to lose as many games as possible. And through this run, they benefited from that. They took Joel Embiid third overall, who after some lackluster years, injury riddled at Kansas, he is on the verge of winning an MVP trophy. They took Markel Fultz first overall. He is another guy who doesn't know how to shoot, battled injuries, had his own mental health issues, and is now in Orlando. But really, the big piece that they landed was Ben Simmons, the guard out of LSU, who couldn't shoot in college, but I think they thought, we, we can get him a shot. Lonzo Ball was in college. He couldn't shoot. Lomelo Ball. There's plenty of players. Scotty Barnes with their, with their Raptors. Young guys might leave college without a great shot. We can develop. We can work with them to get one. And it never looked like Ben Simmons was working on it, or if he was, he was never confident enough to use it in a basketball game. And although through all of this, Ben Simmons won Rookie of the Year. He was a three-time All-Star, was first-team All-Defense four times, a great player, and one of the best passers in the game, despite being six foot ten and being a point guard. But it all crashed and burned last season when Ben Simmons in seven games against the Atlanta Hawks in the second round of the NBA divisional playoffs took three shots in seven games, had eight turnovers, and it really it came to a head when he had the ball under the basket, a six foot 10 jacked strong man had a five foot nine Trey Young below him and he passed out of the paint. Trey Young had two options get posterized, which could have happened, or foul the man. And the threat of being fouled, Ben Simmons was not willing, was not confident enough to go to the free throw line. The man is a career 54% free throw shooter. That is the likes of Dwight Howard, Shaquille O'Neal, centers, big men who stink at free throws. That's where he, that's where he lies. A pathetic. And you heard after the game, Joel Embiid talked about Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers, his head coach said, I don't know if we can win a championship with Ben Simmons. It was a truthful answer. It was an answer I respect a ton. But when it comes to public relations, when it comes to player management, if you will, it was a terrible answer. And that was it. The relationship was severed. Ben Simmons was never going to play for the Sixers again. Didn't play the whole year. 
finally flipped to Brooklyn when James Harden was disgruntled yet again and wanted out of Brooklyn. So he's going to play this year. And his debut will be watched. It'll be talked about, even if it's not against the Philadelphia 76ers. But I want it to be. Because that game is going to be on national TV. That game is going to be one where people say, yeah, you know, I'm a Leaf fan, but I really want to watch this game. This game is, there's games where you got to capitalize on viewership. you got to capitalize on marketability. This game has it in spades. Joel Embiid against his former teammate. James Harden playing his former team. Hopefully Kevin Durant can be back. What kind of reception is Ben, is ben Simmons going to be booed every time he touches the ball? I certainly think so. How does he handle it? And, you know, thinking about it, thinking about it aloud here. Ben Simmons has talked this year about mental health. And do I believe fully that he's been dealing with mental health and that's why he's not playing game in, game out? I'll be honest, I don't. And that might sound insensitive. Mental health is really, it's a priority. It's something that's extremely important. I'm not downplaying the importance, the, the necessary, the, the, the conversation around mental health. But he was playing last year. If he has a great game seven and Doc Rivers doesn't say that, I think Ben Simmons is still a Philadelphia 76er. But he, he struggled in that game. He struggled all series and he's afraid of fourth quarters. He's afraid of the free throw line. I think that that has some mental acuity in it. Don't get me wrong, but do I think Ben Simmons is a, is dealing with depression, dealing with different things? Maybe I don't, again, I don't know for certain, but I think there's something, and I talked about this with Simone Biles at the Olympics. If mental health is real, if it's something you're dealing with, I think it's something you have to deal with for more than just a minute. And what I mean by that is we hear about players saying, well, I got this mental health issue, but you're back the next shift. That can't be it because that's not, you can't go to get a stitch and then you, you, you can go get a stitch and come back. It can't be a mental health thing. There's a certain amount of time you should have to miss. It's like concussion protocol. If you fail it, you can't play that night. This isn't 20 years ago. To me, mental health should be dealt with. You have to go see a therapist and deal with it because that's a real issue. That, that's, that's bigger than basketball. That could, you could make a decision that is terrible. Obviously, that could be life-threatening to you. So um, I respect mental health. I think it's super important. I think it's something that needs to be discussed more openly. You know, Bell, let's talk day. Um, talking about mental health is good. Uh, the, the, the company and the initiative, I, I don't trust as much. That could be my skepticism because I don't trust big brands when it comes to doing good for the people. But what would be, and maybe the, the story is, and the, the great one is he comes back that night in Philadelphia. He's going to hear the booze. But if he is dealing with mental health problems, if he's struggling to get through his time in Philadelphia, 
how he was treated, the ending and the unsat unsatisfactory ending, if you will. Maybe going to that city, playing your old team, getting through a very tough night that you know is going to be tough mentally on a person that's dealing with mental health or something that's just an average Joe. You're going to get booed. You're going to hear people say negative things about you. That's not fun. That's a drain. It's a long process that you just sit there and take it, take it, take it. So if he can endure that, the game, where he's going to play his first game since June, that's a long time. It's the end of February. It's going to be nine months without playing an NBA game or more. So if you can get through it, even if you don't play well, you have turnovers, it's your first game of the season, you're going to be rusty. But you can get through the game mentally strong and say, you know, I'm ready for the double-double the of the back-to-back -back in Sacramento. I'm ready to go play two nights from now against the Phoenix Suns. And that's how you react to the game and not get in your feelings, not get rattled by the, uh, by the home front. That would be a win. And I would serve two purposes. I think Ben Simmons would come out looking better. And it also would be great for me because I want to see how this fan base reacts. It's a game that I'll listen to with the sound on. That's rare for me. I don't like doing that. Hopefully Reggie, Reggie Miller's on the call. But um, again, this is it's a super interesting conversation. I want his debut to be in Philadelphia. It's a high-profile game. You say, well, TNT, ESPN games, that's not normally what I look for. Because normally they stink because they play – all ESPN and TNT does is put the Lakers on TV. The Lakers stink. But this, this is a game – not only am I rooting for this to be a great game in March, I want this to be a playoff series. What if this could be a first round? I, that is ratings gold. There's nothing the NBA wants more. The first round of the NBA playoffs is by far the worst. In hockey, I think it's the best, the first round. NBA couldn't be worse because it, the, it's the good teams beat the bad teams 99 out of 100 times. Unless there's a big injury, something crazy happens, you don't see lower seeds defeat higher seeds. It rarely, rarely, the last time a number one seed in the NBA lost was in 2012. And that was the year Derrick Rose tore his ACL for the Chicago Bulls. It was led by Kirk Heinrich. Luol Dang did not play in that series. And the Philadelphia 76ers, led by Doug Collins, won that series in six games. The eighth seed in the East. It's rare. It doesn't happen every day. Now, maybe this year is different. You look at the bottom of the seedings. Brooklyn's a seventh seed right now. I wouldn't want to play Brooklyn. The Lakers are a nine spot. I have way less faith in the Lakers than I do Brooklyn. I look at Brooklyn, you're going to get Ben Simmons back. He's an all-star. You're going to get Kevin Durant back, the best player in basketball back. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving, I think we could see a, a vaccine change. I mean, we're seeing vaccine mandates change around the world. It's going to be changing in Alberta. And for that, for that matter, right now, in Brooklyn, if you are a visiting player that is not vaccinated, you can play 
at the Barclays Center. You can play in Brooklyn, play a professional sport. However, if you reside in Brooklyn and you are not vaccinated, you cannot play. That makes no sense. It, it makes zero sense. So if you live there, you can't play because you're not vaccinated. But oh, if you're from somewhere else, you've gone through the airports, gone through, gone through restaurants, there's no restrictions, you can play. It, it doesn't make any sense from, I don't understand, I thought New York, you'd think they'd be smarter than most states. I guess not. But I believe by the end of the season that in New York, in Brooklyn, that even if you're not vaccinated, you will be able to play professional sports. I believe you're going to be able to travel mostly around the world, if you're, even if you're not vaccinated. And whether you agree with that or not, it doesn't, that's not the conversation I'm having today. I, this is what I think is going to happen. And I believe Kyrie Irving is going to come back. He's one of the best ball handlers of all time. Kevin Durant's a seven-foot monster. Patty Mills, Ben Simmons, Cam Thomas is, is, a, is a great player off the bench, a young rookie. This team is still very good. James Harden is gone, but I like Brooklyn in the long term more than Philly. And honestly, I like them better in the short term because as much as I like Joel Embiid, and Tyrese Maxey is a really good player. And Matthias Stiebel is a guy that can guard, you know, one to five position on the floor. They don't have Kevin Durant. They don't have Kyrie Irving. And Ben Simmons is going to be asked to be a part of the puzzle and not the centerpiece. He's going to be an edge. He's going to be that plant that's off to the side that you're like, why is that even in the puzzle? Kevin Durant is the snowman. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are in the middle of the puzzle. They're on the drawbridge. They are, you know, they are fighting the good fight. Ben Simmons is the guy in the back behind all the soldiers with his, with his dagger drawn, ready to go to battle if he has to. He never had that ability in Philly. And with less responsibility, with, without the notion of being the savior, without you know, yes, he still is a number one overall pick, but Kevin Durant went number two. Kyrie Irving went number one. He is around other greats. He's around players that have gone high in drafts that can assimilate him into their into their grand scheme, into their puzzle, if you will. And it's gonna be really interesting down the stretch to see what happens, but. Brooklyn, Philly, I want that matchup. I want Ben Simmons in that game, and I want that matchup in the playoffs. But as you know, NBA is on hiatus until Thursday, the All-Star break. Again, the All-Star game, uh, Steph Curry won the MVP. I know that. Um, again, it, that game doesn't interest me. But as you look at it, you got Miami and Chicago, both tied at the top of the East. Miami, no surprise. Chicago is a bit of a surprise to me. You know, they've been a really good story. DeMar DeRozan has had six straight games of 35 points or better. That's tying Michael Jordan. Crazy stat. You have Philly and Cleveland and Milwaukee all tied for third with 35 and 23 records. You got Philly coming back against the Timberwolves. Milwaukee coming back against Brooklyn on Saturday, which should be a good game. And Cleveland returns against the Pistons. Yeah, Boston in in six who have caught a heater. They lost to the Pistons in the last game. They they will play the Brooklyn Nets 
on Thursday. Uh, the Raptors are at seven, are the seventh seed. They um, they play the Hornets Friday night when they make it their return. You have Brooklyn as the eighth eight seed. Um, Charlotte's in ninth. They're two and a half back. Atlanta is tied with Charlotte, and you have Washington's a game back of both of those teams. So. I would definitely say Charlotte's, Charlotte and Atlanta both were playoff teams last year. They're on the outside looking in, they'd be in the playing game, but Atlanta's got to be disappointed with the way they've started their season. Out West, you have Phoenix. Again, they lose Chris Paul six to eight weeks. Huge loss. I think he's top three in MVP. He's got a right thumb fracture, which is the same injury porn star Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo had in the, in the postseason in, in uh in the NFL. So it's a serious injury, but you, they got campaign. They got cam Thomas, Devin Booker is going to have to take a bigger, you know, take, take more of the responsibility, but he's a good player. Again, this, this team has a lot of depth. So you got to like what they got. So I'm not over, overly concerned about Phoenix golden state. You know, they've been struggling. They're, they're six and a half back of Phoenix, only a game and a half up on Memphis who sit in third place. Gold State returns Thursday night in Portland. Memphis will play the Timberwolves on uh, Thursday. Utah is in fourth, the fourth seed. They are but four games back of Memphis, so they have a ways to go. They've been struggling. They lost to the, to the Lakers their last game before the break, and Donovan Mitchell actually missed the All-Star game. So Mavericks will play the Jazz. Uh, Mavericks have, you know, they trade up Porzingis. Doncic's been playing well. Denver, you know, Denver's been a, a good team. Nikola Jokic has been phenomenal in the season. He's averaging 26 points per game, 13 rebounds, eight assists. And, you know, he had, was the MVP last year. I think he's right in the mix again this year. Um, we'll see, you know, if they can get Jamal Murray back, if they can get some players. But otherwise, I don't see this team being a big threat in the playoffs. Minnesota's the seventh seed. They didn't make the playoffs last year, so they've been a good story. Carl Anthony Towns, you know, averaging 24 a game and almost 10 rebounds, and he won the three-point shooting contest as a big man. Clippers are in eighth ahead of the Lakers. They play each other Friday night, and they are currently a game and a half up, followed by Portland, who sits in the 10th seed, who are playing extremely well despite trading off players and Damian Lillard being over the season. So I do think the NBA season will be interesting down the stretch. What do the Lakers do? Can they keep it together in Lakerland? You know, I think you see, you know, Le LeBron James clearly did not want to keep Russell Westbrook. I believe he wanted to trade for John Wall, who's currently on, on the Houston Rockets, not playing, hasn't played at all this year. But, you know, I think at the deadline, he made a symbol that you know, he thought Rob Palenka should make a move. He thought he should go acquire John Wall. But He's stuck with Russell Westbrook. He's not getting off that contract. He's there for the rest of the season. Anthony Davis is hurt. So, again, I, I don't feel that much sympathy for LeBron James. And the reason is for that is because he chose Russell Westbrook. They could have went down a different route where they could have went and got Buddy Heald. They could have got players in Sacramento that were great three-point shooters, that were more LeBron types, if you will. You know, Kyle Corvers, uh, Kevin Loves, uh, Rodney Hood, you know, guys, Mike Miller in Miami, guys that he weren't huge pieces, 
but he liked the way they played. They played tough defensively. They shoot threes and they're instrumental in, in LeBron's championship runs. Instead, I'm sure he thought I'm in year 17 or year 19. I'm tired. Uh, I need, I need a guy that can control the ball. That is an all-star that's going to go to the hall of fame. Well, Russell Westbrook leads the NBA in turnovers. He is shooting below 30% from the three-point line. He is, for a guy that is going to be a Hall of Famer, he's, this is a tough thing to say, but he's a stupid basketball player. He, I've never seen a guy dribble the ball more and step out of bounds. Like, he, it's at least once a game, he steps out of bounds. He's behind the back, uh, you know, behind the rim, steps out of bounds. I've never seen it. He just loves to turn the ball over. And it's almost 60 games into the season. It's not going to get much better. You know what you're going to get from Russell Westbrook. So, and I don't see the Lakers asking him to come off the bench. I've said this from day one of the season. They should ask Westbrook to come off the bench. It's what's best for the team. But the guy has an ego bigger than Los Angeles. So, you know, that's not going to happen. But this team is not going to go anywhere with the way they play. They play a stupid brand of basketball. They don't play together. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not a great unit. And the fact that they trail the Clippers, who Kawhi Leonard, their best player, hasn't played a second all year. Paul George has been out over a month. This the Clippers are a bunch of ragtag players. Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris Sr., you know, Luke Kennard. They have good players, don't get me wrong, but they don't have a superstar. And yet the Clippers beat the Lakers in their last matchup. The Clippers are ahead of the Lakers in the standings. And it, the, the Lakers should be ahead of the Clippers in the standings. And I do think by the end of the year, they will be. Because I look at it, you know, the Lakers, I don't know how high they can go in the standings. I think they can pass the Clippers. Minnesota Minnesota's tough because I think Minnesota's a good basketball team. I think Minnesota, you know, they're they're never going to be great, but I like Carl Anthony Towns. I like some of their pieces. So I don't know if they can pass Minnesota. I think Minnesota's a, a confident team. They feel like they can go on a run. They feel like they can at least get to a playoff position, potentially be in a spot where they don't have to play in the playing game, which would be huge for them. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Timberwolves-Lakers as a 7-8 matchup uh, in the play-in tournament. So interesting storylines down the stretch. How will LeBron react? You know, tomorrow me and Seamus are going to talk about LeBron's comments over the weekend regarding his son. I think it's super interesting. We'll touch on it more tomorrow, but here's just a little tease. You know, he said over the weekend, you know, first of all, he said he'd return to Cleveland where he started his career. But he also said that his last season in the NBA would be played wherever his son, Bronny, Bronny James, a.k.a. LeBron James Jr., is located. Wherever he gets drafted, wherever he is, that's where LeBron James is going to go. He said it's not about money at that point. It's about, you know, legacy and playing, get to playing a year with his son. And we'll talk about Bronny's credentials, what he's doing in the game of basketball, but I think it's a big statement from LeBron, but I do think this has a bigger impact and there's a bigger conversation here when it comes to the kid that we're talking about here. So me and Seamus, will get into that tomorrow. How, also, you know, over the weekend, we saw 
you know, the NHL was not on pause. The NHL is back from the all-star break. Teams are going through their bye weeks, but there's still games going. Family day, lots of afternoon hockey. Saw the big win by the Bruins against the Avalanche. But the team that dominated the headlines over the weekend for the right and the wrong reasons were the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it really started with a trade that they made. And just to start off, the Toronto Maple Leafs traded for Nick Ritchie to the Arizona Cody's, to Ilya Labushkin, Ryan Dezingle, and they also sent a conditional draft pick to Arizona as well. Nick Ritchie was uh, signed to a two-year two deal at two and a half million. It had not worked out. Started off the year on the top line. Was you know currently playing on the Marlies, on waiver. You know struggling. Just didn't fit in in Toronto. It never worked. And you know to his credit, this was the one real flop for Kyle Dubas. If you look at his offseason, David Comp has fit in and been been a very effective third line center. Michael Bunting has replaced Zach Hyman with Marner and Matthews. He's been extremely effective on that line. Uh, you also have Andre Kasha, who has been a, a solid player for them. So his gambles have paid off. Richie did not. And if you look at the deal, I think it's a solid trade for the Maple Leafs because you get rid of a contract that you, you had to get rid of because he was taking up salary cap space, which you only had 250 grand in cap space heading into last weekend, they had to send, you had to send Rasmus Sandin down. They, they had to make moves, but also, you know, you get the single who they put on waivers and then lost to the San Jose Sharks. Can't do anything about that, but the big prize here for Toronto and is Ilya Labushkin, who is a hard nosed type defenseman, very much defensive minded, not a guy that is going to put up a lot of points, not flashy, but a good competitor and something that the Leafs need, because through this trade and through, like I said, a couple headlines that weren't so great when it comes to their play, what's become clearly obvious to, to anyone that knows hockey and has become clear to me prior to this weekend, but it seems to be picking up steam now in Toronto markets because they lose a few games. And even when you win games, when you don't play that well, you still get that little boost from um, the two letter, the three letter, but we won't talk about them right now. But I look at Toronto and what was, like I said, what was clearly obvious to me, if you listen to me, if you're a fan, you know, I've been saying this, they don't have a good enough defense core to win a Stanley cup clear as day. They don't have a good enough defense core to win a playoff round. In my opinion, because of the division they play in. If they were playing in the Pacific Division out West, sure. Yeah, I think you can get by it. You can, you can work around it. But with poor defensive play and lackluster goaltending, that's going to make it look really, really tough on your defense score. And you look at it. You, you trust Morgan Riley's had a great year. Again, I'm not his biggest fan. I still don't think Morgan Riley's a number one defenseman. But he's a serviceable guy. He's having, I think he's playing better than he did a number of years ago when, you know, he was up for the Norris. I think he's had a very solid season. He's great. Other than last night, TJ Brody is the most solid player for, for the, um, for the Maple Leafs on the back end. 
you nine times out of 10, you know what you're going to get from Brody in the game in game out basis. He makes limited mistakes. He makes the easy play, but it's the smart play. He gets the puck out of the zone with some of the guys that they have in the back end. It it's, you need the smart, you need the easy play. Cause I'll go through it. After that, obviously Jake Muzzin is who should be your number three, but the guy has been inconsistent is being nice to Jake Muzzin. The guy's been out to lunch from the start of the season. And, you know, I feel for him because it seems like every time he's trying to get back into the swing of things, every time it's a big moment, the guy seems to get injured. The past two postseasons, he's gotten injured. He's like Nazem Kadri, except an injury. You knew Nazem Kadri was going to get suspended for the Maple Leafs. You know Jake Muzzin seems to get hurt in the playoffs. Well, that is a storyline here. That's a worry, no doubt about it. But it's also Jake Muzzin hasn't played well. Going into the playoffs the last two years, he was playing at a very high level. You could argue last year going into the playoffs, he was their best defenseman. Actually, I don't even think it's that big of an argument. He was playing better than Morgan Riley. Um, so, but this year he's been atrocious. And you could put some of that on... Justin Hall, no doubt about it. But at the same time, Jake Muzzin is a two-time Stanley Cup winner. He's a veteran defenseman. You're supposed to make up for your, uh, your for your D partner's deficiencies. He hasn't been doing that well enough. So, and he's been creating a ton of turnovers himself. So there's a worry. But after Muzzin, after you get through the three that are supposed to be high-level defensemen, you get to Rasmus Sandin, who is a good player. Don't get me wrong. I, I like him. I think he still has a lot to, to learn, a lot to grow with. But if you go into a postseason, you don't want Rasmus being a, a young defenseman with limited playoff experience who was healthy scratched in game seven last year against Montreal to, to be your number four because he's, he's not ready for it. It's not fair to him to expect that. This isn't Drew Doughty, where you can just say, okay, he's a young kid. Let's play him at the Olympics. He'll win a cup the same year. That, that isn't the situation here. That's not who Rasmus Sandin is. Also, he's a thin guy. He gets muscled off the pucks really easy. The game is much more finesse. It's much more skill. It's much more speed now. But you watched the last two games for Toronto against St. Louis who are a, a burly team, tough to play against. They wear on you. Rasmus Sandin had a really tough night. He struggled. He played with, with, you know, with Muzzin at times. That pair did not look good. But you look at that team. O'Reilly, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Ivan Barbashev, Vladimir Tarasenko. Those are big, heavy forwards. Tampa... You could look at them and say, okay, they're not a heavy team, but they turn into one because they're chameleons. They can play whatever game you want in the playoffs. Brain point will take you off pucks. Steven Stamkos will get physical when he has to. Kucherov, the same thing. He's a physical cat. He gets pissed off. He'll lose it. He has a screw loose or two in there. And don't even get me started on the bottom end of their lineup and how girthy and how strong they are. So... You don't want him in a, in a situation where Rasmus Sandin is playing 20 minutes a game. He's a fifth, sixth defenseman right now. So you say, okay, well, it can't be him. 
Well, then you get to Justin Hall. Justin Hall has been a like Muzzin, a problem, unreliable, inconsistent, a guy that's been more trouble than he's worth. And I look at him and say, you're a fit six defenseman. You turn the puck over too much. You make the wrong play more than you make the right one. And unlike TJ Brody, a lot of these league defensemen don't make the smart play. Don't make the easy play. They say, okay, let's make it more difficult on ourselves. And it's infuriating to watch. Travis Dermott. Travis, Travis Dermott has experience. But again, he's not a guy you want to play come playoff time. And what I'm getting to, you can add Timothy Lilligren to this group. I wouldn't want to play, I think, in a perfect world. And I mean, this isn't even a perfect world. You play two of them. You play, if I had to pick, you're going to obviously play Muzzin if he's healthy. You're playing Brody. You're playing Riley. I would probably play Hall and Sandine because I like them more than I like Dermot, more than I like Lilligren. You know, Hall and Sandine on that third pair, they don't play, they're not going to play that much, if you ask me. It's going to be tough to go through the postseason with them. Obviously, I think Labushkin, it being acquired, is there to add depth to this defense score. But Labushkin is a fifth, sixth defenseman. He's not a guy that's going to play top four minutes. I do think he's an upgrade over, over what they have, so that, that's a positive. But also, it's a luxury to have an abundance of defensemen at the fifth, sixth level that you trust to go in and play. But it's not a, it's not a luxury when all of your defensemen are fifth, sixth defensemen. After the top three, but Muzzin hasn't played like a top four defenseman this year. So on Toronto right now, you have an elite four group with one of the best players in the NHL in Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner is a hell of a player. Uh, you look around the depth of this team. Mikheyev is playing better. Kasha, if you can stay healthy. Um, you know, we'll get to the rest of the team. But you have pieces that you like, no doubt about it. But it's only a luxury to have defensemen sitting in the press box that can fit into the bottom of a pair when you have guys that you trust above them. Toronto does not. I just look at the team and say, I, who do you, I don't trust. And I, I heard an argument the other day, how, well, well, Florida doesn't have a great defense score either. Okay. Well, is Lucas Carlson a great defenseman? No. Do I trust him in the playoffs? No, no way. Do I trust Aaron Ekblad? I do. Aaron Ekblad is playing some of the best hockey of any defenseman in the world. He's had six points in his last three games, eight in his last four. The guy has 47 points in 49 games. And, you know, this is for all the dinosaurs out there. This is just to tell defensemen how you're really playing well. He's a plus 35 on the season. Pretty damn good. I trust him. Gustav Forsling, he doesn't ring off the charts, but Gustav Forsling's better than Dermot. He's better than Sandine. Radko Gudis is a guy Toronto would love to have. He's just a solid defenseman. He's mean as hell. Lobushkin, they got to hope, has a bit of that. Brandon Montour, I like Brandon Montour a lot. He's an offensive defenseman that gambles. He's a guy that he's going to piss you off sometimes when he makes plays. 
He reminds me a little bit of Cam Fowler, oddly enough, because they played together in Anaheim. I like him more than Cam Fowler. But again, he's a guy that has offensive upside. He can move the puck, and you're not worried about him. Will he make mistakes in playoff games? I, I think he will. But I like him more than I like Travis Dermott. Sandy, you know where I'm going here. And then they finish off with Mackenzie Weger. Weger's a great hockey player. He might have went 200, 206 overall in the draft in 2013, but the guy's turned himself into a great defenseman. He's got 30 points in, in 50 games, but the guy is solid. So this isn't just, well, oh, you're picking on Toronto. No, their defense score is weaker than the opposing teams. And what, what goes unnoticed and what I think it, it is, is really unfair is I watched the game last night against Montreal. First of all, it's embarrassing enough to lose to Montreal despite them winning three in a row, which is what I said might happen with the new, co new coach bump. And if they lose that first, what would be so poetic is if they start winning games, they lose the draft lottery and they keep Martin Saint-Louis and you know he's going to be fired like a year anyway. So Montreal fans, good luck with that. But you lose to Montreal, that, that's, that's embarrassing enough. But the game... It really wasn't that close. It turned out to be 5-2. They get a couple garbage goals in the third period to make it seem competitive. People didn't watch the game. Just look at the box score. But you look at last night. I counted nine odd man rushes for the Montreal Canadiens. There was three times, two of them by Josh Anderson, where he snuck behind the least defenseman and got clean looks on Peter Mrazek. And Mrazek might have let in you know, five goals on his first 24 shots face last night. But that wasn't his fault. The second goal, yes, I look at Caulfield's first goal off the Anderson pass. You got to make that save. But how about some defense make a play? How about you box somebody out? First goal, Josh Anderson just plows to the net. How about somebody does something? Get the puck out of the zone. Don't get hemmed. You're playing Montreal. And I get it. There was a unicorn sighting last night. My guy, Josh Anderson, loves to play against the Leafs. But it just shows when you don't play good defensively in front of somebody, your goalie, your goaltending is not going to be as good. Mrazic had been playing good hockey prior to last night. Jack Campbell had been struggling. But I also think you got to look at it and say, this team defensively lately hasn't been very sharp. They haven't been locked in. They've been giving high quality scoring chances to the opposition night in, night out. These other teams don't is the point I'm trying to make. There are teams that do, and they're not going to win. The Washington Capitals give up a lot of high quality scoring chances. They're a team that's going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. I bet 20 bucks with anybody that Washington loses in the first round of the playoffs. To me, I look at Toronto and I say, if you play Tampa, if you play Florida, you're not going to win that series. Unless this defense core is really improved. Labushkin's a nice ad. It's a good trade for, for uh, Kyle Dubas. But it has to be the start of something. The Leafs are built to win now. It's not learning anymore. It's not, well, we have to go through lessons or whatever stupid school analogy you want to throw on the table. It's win now, because eventually, what will Toronto become? The 
better regular season Edmonton Oilers where you're full of star players. You're full of guys that get great, you get great points with Rocket Richard trophies. It's all great. It's all good in the hood, if you will. But then you get to the playoffs and you're home golfing before your parents can throw on the damn TV. And I, this team doesn't have many draft picks. They don't. Just to look this up on the fly, they're, they're going to have to be creative. And it's almost stupid for me to say this because I don't think they're going to do it. They're, they're likely not going to do this. But I think it's something they should explore. You know, and they, uh, they, they got a couple, they don't got a first, they don't got a second. You know, they traded them away. So it, it's just, what, where do they go from here? This big 2023, they got a first. They got a second. But do you want to trade away all that draft capital? But this is what I think should be on the table. And I've said this, and I stand by it. To win in the postseason, it's more important to have a really good defense and solid goaltending than it is to have great forwards. Otherwise, Toronto would already have won a cup. Edmonton would have already made a pass, wouldn't have got swept last year, the Winnipeg Jets. Toronto should explore the like, uh, you know, a big trade. I, I said John Klingberg isn't the right guy for Toronto. But the more I look at this team, they need a shakeup. They need another great, I don't trust Jake Muzzin to get there. And you're too many fifth defensemen on this damn roster. John Klingberg is a impending unrestricted free agent. It is unlikely that you would be able to retain him. Maybe you can, maybe you can make it work, but I think John Klingberg is going to want a hefty raise. Somewhere in the seven to nine million dollar range. Would I pay him that money? Hell no. But this team needs a great defenseman. Jack Campbell's a good goalie. We don't know what he is in the playoffs, but you look around, Sergei Bobrovsky has no playoff history. He's won one playoff round in his whole career. One more than Jack Campbell. Obviously, Vasilevsky's an entirely different story. Tristan Jari never won a playoff round. Ilya Samsonov never won a playoff round. Uh, Jeremy Swayman, Never won a playoff round for the Boston Bruins. We can go down the line here. There's a lot of inexperience when it comes to goaltending in the Eastern Conference. There's Tampa, and you have some experienced players on, on rosters like Bergeron, Marchand, Sidney Crosby. When it comes to the goaltending position, you look around and say, well, who do we trust? It's anybody's game. So what I'm saying for Toronto is, they should explore trading William Nylander. And, you know, I, I don't like saying this. I've been 
people tell me I look like Bill Nylander. I take that as a compliment because I think the guy's a pretty good looking cat, but he's, and this isn't about Bill Nylander's play. I think John Tavares hurts Bill Nylander more than Bill Nylander hurts John Tavares, but he's on a ticket that teams would be intrigued with. It's a, you know, Bill Nylander, good player. He can score us 30 goals, 65, 70 points. And we know what we're going to get from him. Is he the greatest defensively? No, but he can create offense on a team if we need it. And maybe John Klingberg isn't the answer. Maybe there's another deal. What about Philly? Philly lacks scoring. They're likely going to trade Claude Giroux. They're likely going to part but you potentially with more pieces. Do they trade uh, Cam Atkinson at the deadline? Do they, what happens with Carter Hurt? Well, you're going to need scoring. Sean Couturier has back surgery. He's not going anywhere. He'll be back. But is Ivan Provorov in the long-term plans of the Philadelphia Flyers? And this would require more than Bill Nylander for Provorov, in my opinion. But would Philly be willing to part with Provorov to acquire Bill Nylander plus because Ivan Provorov is signed to a long-term extension. He's a guy that has his ups and downs. I, I don't love his play all the time, but he's an intriguing player. He's young. You know, he's got a $6.75 million cap hit. That's what Bill Nylander makes. He's 25. He's got many years left. We're currently, he's got three years left on his deal at 6.75 million. So you got some years left on this deal. Chuck Fletcher gave him this deal, but you're getting a guy for three years after this one. So Philly would be getting a winger with term. The Toronto Maple Leafs would be getting a defenseman with term. Toronto doesn't like unrestricted free agents, and I understand that. Because if you were to trade a guy like William Nylander, it would be hard to sell trading him for John Klingberg. Klingberg walks for nothing if you don't win a Stanley Cup. But what about Ivan Provorov as just as a player? That's a trade to me. It's going to be tough to pull off. I think, again, they make similar salaries, so it's not completely out of the woods. Provorov has 19 points in 47 games. He's having a terrible season. Terrible. But he's on a brutal team as well. I think a fresh start would do him well. He went seventh overall. Nylander went high in the draft. Nylander played very well in the playoffs last year. And maybe Provorov isn't the guy Toronto's targeting. But I think they have to make a big splash. Nylander's 25. They went in the same draft, the pick apart. Nylander this season has 47 points. Of, he's having a great year. Again, this isn't about him. He had 42 and 51 last year, so he's, he's having a great season, almost point per game. But to get a great defenseman, this team is going to have to lose one of its big pillars. You're not trading John Tavares. Nobody wants him. He has no value, and he has a full no move. 
If you want to trade him, but you do, you can anyway. What else? Well, you're not trading Mitch Marner, despite what I'm sure some people would like you to do. You're not moving Austin Matthews. Morgan Riley just resigned long-term. Nobody's checking Jake Muzzin and his head trauma. That leaves Bill Nylander. He's the last big ticket on the roster. Out, trading Alex Kerfoot for a player, of his, his salary is dollars and cents. This is something I really think the Toronto Maple Leafs should look at because I Tavares, I worry about. But you look at this team, they've got depth for a reason. Spezza can play in the playoffs. Kerfoot played great in the playoffs last year. Mikheyev looks like a better player. Um, Marner and Matthews, it's about them. Do you, if, do you fully believe in them? Because if you do, you're going to say, guess what? We might have traded away your buddy, but this is because we think we can win a cup right now, and it's you guys are going to have to drive the bus. Because Point did it. Kudrov did it. Can you? Pushing those chips in for a guy like a Provorov who – isn't playing great hockey. I give you that, but I do think they need a defenseman that can be a difference maker. That can change your outlook as a franchise. That can be just a player that you look at and say, I didn't see that coming. Wow. Maybe we can do this. There's only so many of those players out there. I love Ben Sherrod. He's a great depth piece, but that's not going to change your team. Drew Doughty's not moving from LA. You're not getting Mo Sider from, from the Detroit Red Wings. So you're, you're running out of options. I look at that potential mesh. I think it could work. I think it, I think it could work. Again, you look at... Getting elite defensemen is so important. Teams don't like to part with them. I don't think Buffalo would trade Rasmus Dalin. I'd inquire. Dallas not trading Miro Heiskin. San Jose, they don't have a defenseman. They, they pay you to take care of Carlson. I don't want him. Um, Seth Jones just signed in Chicago. Believe me, as much as you know, people might say, well, Seth Jones isn't what he used to. Okay, I'll st I'd still take him, believe me. i still take him on my team. But to me, the smartest thing, the biggest splash the Toronto Maple Leafs organization can make is acquiring an elite-level defenseman. It would signal. What have they done in the past? They got Brian Boyle, that piece. They got Thomas Bacanich, that piece. Even Nick Foligno. It's all forwards. They got Muzzin a few years ago. That was a, that was a difference maker. But uh, you got to look at your team and say, we have too many guys that are fifth defensemen. Rasmus Sandin may be a number three, maybe a number two down the line. But is, are Matthews and Marner still here when, when he is? I'm not so sure. You have to capitalize on the opportunity that's in front of you. Because otherwise, you're going to get to the playoffs and maybe you get a depth piece. Maybe you go out there and you find a defenseman that you like. You get a Justin Braun from the same Philadelphia Flyers. But he's a fifth, sixth defenseman again. He's a defensive D that's just going to be there. 
Provorov could change your outlook of your team. He could play in your second power play. You got you got Riley and Brody. You got Muzzin and Provorov, a puck moving defenseman with a stay at home defenseman, a perfect blend. Voinov, Matt Green, Doughty, Jake Muzzin. LA did it. They had this combination. They won two Stanley Cups. I don't think this happens. But if it does, you heard it here first. Because I think if the Toronto Maple Leafs truly want to give themselves a realistic chance to win, let alone a playoff run, that's not a success this year. If Toronto Maple Leafs win, a, that's not a success. It isn't. You have a team that's built to win a cup. It can't be, oh, we win a playoff round. Let's celebrate. No. Those days are over. Keep your eyes on Philly. Team stinks. Claude Drew will get traded. Do I think other – Justin Braun, I expect to be moved at the deadline. Do they move Martin Jones? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. He's a, you know, the backup goalie there. Um, Konechny, maybe, for the right pieces. Um, but, you know, Risa Linen's a good defenseman. I like Provorov more. He's under term, and he's 25. I think he can get better. I think he's got more there. Get him out of that pit that is Philly and see what he can bring to the table. Maybe it doesn't work, but what they've done for the last three, four years hasn't worked either. I give it a shot. You know, also around the NHL, I mean, Florida continues to win. Like I said, they're, they're just a well machine. What will interest, interest me down the stretch here of the, um, of the uh, postseason stretch is what happens with Marc-Andre Fleury, the flower. Um, you know, I've heard reports that Washington is kicking tires on, on Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, they, uh, they would like to bring him in for a playoff run. Obviously, played in, uh, you know, for, in Pittsburgh for so long. He played against Washington in the, uh, the 2018 Stanley Cup Final. So that would be super interesting. I don't know if he'd accept the deal there. I guess as of right now, he's, no, he's got a full no moves. So he can decide where he goes. But Edmonton... If, I, if I'm Marc-Andre Fleury, I'm not going to Edmonton because you're not winning a cup in Edmonton. I don't think you're winning one in Washington either. I understand why he wants to go to Vegas, quite frankly. Um, Vegas, I think, can win a cup this year. You look at their division, I think the East is going to be a bloodbath to get through. I think the West, the Western team who can get to the final is in a really good position to pick up the crumbs, to, to scoop up what's left of the Eastern Conference and just put them to bed. That that would interest me a ton. Jack Eichel back. You're gonna have likely Mark Stone will sit out for the rest of the season. Riley Smith, you know, Petrangelo, Shade, you got a you got a good team there. So if he could be in net, I I, I understand why he would be intrigued by that opportunity. Uh, I thought at the beginning of the year, Colorado might be a deadline team that would look at him. I think Darcy Kemper is a good goalie. Uh just you know, yesterday. Uh, he played well yesterday, despite uh, the Colorado events being trounced by the Boston Bruins. So I don't see Colorado as a fit, but where is he going to go is, is the biggest question. And 
St. Louis is a t- is an interesting one. They do have Bennington and Huso. I don't think they'd part with either. But you know where what teams are going to be interested in him? That that's the thing. What teams are willing to pay the price for a guy like him? Cat Rangers are set. Pittsburgh, who knows if they feel like they can go on a run, maybe they would inquire on uh, on his services because I think that would that would be something that they should look at. But I think his options are very limited. And unfortunately for him, I think unless it's a Vegas, which I don't think they're going to do, I think they're going to, unless Robin Leonard is severely hurt, then it makes all the sense in the world to reacquire Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't see a team that I look at and say they are a perennial cup favorite that he's going to be dealt to. I don't believe that with the Oilers. I look at Vegas, I look at Calgary in front of them, and I believe they're both better teams. Washington, I think several almost every, I think every team in the East is better than the Washington Capitals. So I have very little faith there. Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh's a good team, but I like, I like Carolina more. And now I, I like, obviously, I like every team in the Atlantic more than I, uh, you know, the top three in the Atlantic more than I like Pittsburgh. So again, it, it gets a little wary there for, for Marc-Andre Fleury, but it, it won't be interesting to see where he ends up. You know, does he stay out west? Does he go back east uh, come the end of this trade deadline? Um, Edmonton Oilers, they're on a hot run. Uh, they lose uh, Sunday night to the Minnesota Wild. But again, if I'm Edmonton, I'm asking about Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm asking about Brayden Holpe. I'm asking about Anton Hudobin because, you know, Jay Woodcroft can coach well. He can put, you know, institute good systems, yada, yada, yada. Those mean jack shit if you don't get a save. And I look at this team and, and just say, well, they don't get enough saves. They don't get enough big saves from, from their goaltenders. And Mike Smith gets pulled the other night. I don't trust Koskinen to save my life. The guy, they're both guys that aren't going to win in the postseason. They didn't last year. So, and you get a porous defense. Mark andre Fleury would help. Maybe they can get a defensive system in place, but again, Oilers are on a hot run. McDavid and Dreisaitl are playing better. That has a lot to do with it, but I still go back to their their flaw, their fatal flaw, and that is goaltending. Um, well, me and Shane will talk more about Colorado tomorrow. I, I saw I watched their game yesterday against Boston. I saw some weaknesses in in their game, and I'm a little skeptical about them uh, going on a deep playoff run. But and you know, also today, you know, Aaron Rodgers came out, he broke up with his fiance, Shailene Woodley, said, you know, there's no he just had a 12-day cleanse, whatever that means. He was on the Pac McAfee show, said no decision is imminent, but you know, who knows what's what's happening with Aaron Rodgers? Who knows what he's gonna do? Uh, does he stay in Green Bay? Does he go to Denver? Does he go to Vegas? We'll have to wait and see. But there's also, you know, what this, what happens with Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. I'm really intrigued there. But today was a, you know, a sort of important day in the NFL calendar because now until March 8th, so a couple weeks, you have the ability to franchise tag players that you want to keep on your roster. So what that means is if you have a player on your roster that's going to be an impending unrestricted free agent, if you franchise tag this player, they cannot negotiate with other teams. They are... They're signed with you and you have till mid-July to negotiate a long-term deal. If you cannot come up with a long-term deal, that player uh, then has the ability 
you know, ha- can either sign the franchise tag, which it depends on position. I know for quarterback, it's close to um, $30 million a season as a franchise tag. But you, the big names out there are Devontae Adams, who will likely be franchise tagged by Green Bay, Jesse Bates uh, the third uh, in Cincinnati, the great free safety. Do they do they uh, franchise tag him? They have a lot of money. I would, but it's a cheap organization. We'll wait and see there. Uh, you know, there, there's names out there that we could see. I think also in the next couple of weeks, we'll see players get cut, veterans who are on deals and teams will eat dead cap money so that they can part with players. One name that's uh, hot in the rumor mill right now is Amari Cooper in Dallas. The guy just hasn't been putting up great, uh, great numbers. He makes $20 million a season and Dallas being so close to the cap. I wouldn't be surprised if Amari Cooper is not a Dallas Cowboy come week one of next season. So lots happening. We also had, you know, the mix up in NCAA. Me and Seamus talked about that tomorrow with the John Howard incident. Um, and, you know, also get into, uh, you know, the Phil Mickelson, the Saudi golf league and the comments made by Rory McIlroy, which are really explosive. I give Rory a ton of credit for having the courage to come out going up against Phil, you know, the, the godfather of the golf world, if you will. But he said, Seamus will join me tomorrow. We'll get into a lot of uh, interesting topics. So Friday, big to the point announcement. I uh, hope you guys can all join me live again, Facebook live around 2 p.m. on Friday. That'll, it'll be available, uh, you know, throughout the day after, after that time. But stay tuned for the breaking news that day. I hope you guys can all join me, as I said. But have a great day, everyone. We'll talk tomorrow. Until then, this has been To The Point.